My sacred obligation as an IT leader is to put the institution in its best firm footing to be able to deliver services in ways that extend beyond our physical boundaries. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Hello and welcome to Status Go. I'm Alicia Gaba, Vice President of Marketing here at InterVision, and I'm here for Candace Jones, the Associate Vice President of Information Technology Services at Pasadena City College. So thank you, Candace, for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Alicia. Yeah, absolutely. So today we're going to be talking about um, what's really been going on in higher ed as it relates to COVID-19 and also why digital equity is really more important now than ever. So before we kick into gear, Candice, how are you and your family doing? Oh, thank you for asking. We're, we're doing really well. I mean, I'm a mom of an, a nine-year-old. He just turned nine and just finished my first year teaching and homeschooling, <laughs> which is something that I think many parents across the country uh, certainly got thrown into very quickly. But we're all doing well and we're looking forward to a little bit of a summer break. Yeah, I bet. So you've been in the education space a long time. How do you feel about being a teacher? Wow. It was, um, I have a great respect. <laughs> I have, I had a respect for our educators previously, but goodness, just having to um, be online and helping my son through his activities in the last six to eight weeks, I have a greater appreciation for what our educators are doing on a day-to-day basis. And then them being also thrown into having to go online and supporting students remotely. Um, they're just fabulous and certainly heroes in my book. Yeah, I I know a number of teachers as personal friends and the amount of growth that they have experienced as educators is astronomical. They've had to learn to do things in different ways. And, and likewise, parents who also have full-time jobs like you and I have, have gotten to learn and grow in other ways. So why don't we start, Candice, with sharing more around your background and what brought you to where you are at Pasadena City College? Sure. So I've been in uh, higher education for the last 20 years, so very focused on supporting institutions. So I started my career at a small, private, liberal arts college, about 3,600 students, and then transitioned to a very large public institution in California. So I've worked for the University of California system uh, for 10 years prior to my coming to Pasadena City College, which is a two-year institution. And so, you know, I've been able to see higher ed in very interesting ways, Um, small four-year private college to really large public, you know, research-based institution. And now I have the incredible responsibility and passion for taking all that I've learned in those institutions and really focusing that energy in our two-year community college system. So 
it's been a whirlwind in terms of um, just how I've seen higher ed transition and transform in the last 20 years. But a lot of that experience has really helped um, how I have shaped, you know, our strategy and vision here at Pasadena City College and things that I believe very strongly that our students deserve that four-year experience, although they have just started their journey, you know, at a two-year community college, that it's really about this larger four-year experience. So I've been very fortunate to, to support higher ed and um, I look forward to continuing to do that in the future. So that's a little bit about my background. That's great, Candace. And I think, you know, one of the things when we talked originally that struck me is because of that diverse background you have in education, you could probably be at nearly any institution you wanted to be. But you shared that Pasadena City College really aligned with your core values, and that's what attracted you to joining about two years ago. I'd love for you to elaborate on that for our listeners. Sure. So Pasadena, our mission at Pasadena City College is really our goal is around equity-minded learning community. So building a community where equity is ingrained in every aspect of what we're doing. So whether that's in-class instruction or professional development opportunities for staff or events for our students or just the day-to-day operations, it's very important that we're constantly reviewing and being very critical about equity. And so, you know, we're really dedicated to enriching our students their academic lives, their personal lives, their professional lives. And we have a host of different programs and certificate programs that really align to that well. And so for me, I wanted to, you know, make a, a lot of people said, why are you leaving this really large institution to go to a two-year community college? As if community colleges are not the pillars upon which many of our students enter higher education. And for me, I just said, you know what, this is where it starts. You know, this is what, this is where we can actually fundamentally change a student's life and the lives of their families. And so it was really important for me that I find an institution where equity and inclusion and diversity were its core tenets and that those things are not just messaged for words and just messaged for the sake of messaging but are essentially embedded in every aspect of what we do. How do you feel like this concept around digital equity, which was so important to you before COVID-19, how have things changed in the last really six to eight weeks? Oh my goodness. Uh, They have changed dramatically. I mean, we are being confronted on a daily basis to really reimagine, you know, to reimagine the way that we deliver instruction and to reimagine the way that we're delivering services to our students. I mean, in more ways than I think we've ever been pressed. And it's really allowed us to uh, be courageous in really looking at some of the practices that we've done in the past. Um, that that we're sort of hesitant or slow to move. You know, higher ed can be slow to change and slow to, to adapt. And so in these last eight weeks, we have had to turn on a dime 
and really ask ourselves, how are we going to transform this institution in a way that really meets the students where they are? And so that transitions really naturally into then saying digital equity is something that we have to place at the forefront, given the fact that many of us are interacting with our students through online formats, something that we've never done before. Well, there's online learning, but now we're providing counseling services online and you know, financial aid appointments online and, and program-based activities. You know, they're hosting sessions, or the, the associated students' meetings are all online. And so I think digital equity has risen to sort of an obligation that we really need to tackle because of COVID-19. But I would push us to say that it doesn't just end with COVID. It really is something that we should extend past the time when we start having our students come back um, because it's important that we meet our students where they are. And I think, I think higher ed is fundamentally changed due to this crisis. Yeah, I know locally schools here, it's, I believe we are absolutely in the midst of some major fundamental changes. And in our prep call, you, you shared some concepts around um, with the digital equity, never wanting people to have to ask for something that they deserve to have access to. And I know that I have a friend and she's in high school administration in one of the wealthiest high schools down here in Southeast Florida, but it's also has some of the poorest students in the high school. And so the digital equity there is, is drastically different. And you also have add in these elements of emotions that might make a student not want to have to ask for something they need. I would love for you to share your perspective on this because I just feel like you've got such a great experience with Pasadena City College and and I just love your viewpoint on it. So would love for you to share. Sure. So I'm going to actually, I'm going to turn it a little bit and answer with a personal story. So when I graduated high school, I was actually pregnant pregnant when I graduated high school. So I crossed my high school stage and was a young, unwed, about to be parent. And so I had my daughter and I made the decision that I really wanted to go back to college. I remember thinking, I don't want admissions people to think I'm any less. And so Throughout the admissions process and even the financial aid process, you know, I hid the fact that I had a young newborn at home. And it wasn't sort of like a deliberate hide because I thought I was being dishonest. It was it was a hidden fact because I wanted to feel like I was competing at the same levels as other students. And so, great, I, I got into the college of my choice. I was really, really excited, and then I received my financial aid packet. And I remember getting it and thinking, goodness, I'm, I can't make this work. And I went to the financial aid office and talked to a counselor and was literally crying, sobbing, because 
I really wanted to go to the institution, but there was no way that I was, I was financially able to do so. And, you know, I was sharing my story and somehow it came up that I had a two-year-old, a toddler at home. And the counselor said, you, you're, you're a mom? And I said, yeah. And I said, do you realize that changes everything? Why didn't you tell us? And I remember reflecting at that moment, and I said, because I didn't want to seem different. And I didn't want to sort of feel like I was asking for something that I didn't deserve or didn't, that other people weren't asking for. And the woman just, she hugged me. And again, I was a mess. I was crying. And she said, you know, honey, we are here for you. And, you know, within a day, I had a brand new financial aid packet. And, you know, of course I could come and I was able to graduate from that institution. You know, my alma mater is Pepperdine University and they're very loving and caring people there. But I reflect on that moment to say, why do we make our students ask for things? And so when I'm trying to, to think about technology strategies, I don't want any student to feel like they are less than or that they're asking for things that they don't deserve. And so, you know, when COVID hit and I had to figure out how I could get software you know, software packages out to students who don't have access to um, Media Composer or AutoCAD. I mean, these are solutions that cost a lot of money. And I don't want our students to ever feel like they're having to ask for something that they don't deserve. That's when we really started to plot the strategy around application streaming and just giving all of our software packages to all students without them having to ask, you know, because they may not have the funds to procure licenses for those programs. And it was very important to me that we don't unintentionally, because I do think it's unintentional when we ask our students to let us know if they need help, there is this almost unintentional sort of power structure that we put in place that says, well, you have to come to me as the giver, and then I'll decide whether or not I give to you. And I just don't want our students to feel that way. And so digital equity is something we should be pushing on and striving for, and it aligns with everything that we're doing at Pasadena City College. And so it's a natural, it's not only this personal moment for me, but it's important that we just, we just give what our students need. And it doesn't matter about their circumstance. I just, I love that. And I love how you have been able to, in your professional career, take something that is very personal to you but is really a big social issue in the higher education space and be able to paint a picture within your IT department of how can we help make some changes. And I, I do believe that you are further ahead than most in terms of your cloud strategy. And, and I can see the tie between those two things. Um, I would love for you to elaborate for our listeners around how you've tied this kind of this bigger vision around digital equity to 
really speeding up your cloud strategy and being able, able to help other people see within your organization how those things tie together and how they can make a difference. Okay, great. So two years ago, we had, when I started at Pasadena City College, one of the things that was ahead of me just from a strategic standpoint was, you know, diminishing our data center footprint on campus and moving towards a cloud first initiative. It was very important because, you know, we really lacked real um, thought process or processes around disaster recovery or business continuity. We just hadn't, you know, I entered in an organization that just hadn't had real robust conversations around. And so I really took my first 90 days, 120 days, just sort of listening and understanding. But what was important to me was I have to be able to you know, my sacred obligation as an IT leader is to put the institution in its best firm footing to be able to deliver services in ways that, you know, extend beyond our physical boundaries. And so we started this Cloud First Initiatives. And what that means to us is anytime we're considering uh, an application solution, we first look, is there a cloud option for this? Again, meaning that we can deliver that to our students or to our faculty and our staff from anywhere in the country. And if so, go cloud first. And the services that then do actually need to run on our core systems, like we have a Lucene banner, we have, um, that's our ERP solution. And so in those cases, for the virtual you know, machines that are on campus, how do I transition those to, again, a cloud environment that allows that those services to be provisioned and accessed anywhere within the country or even in the world? So once we sort of adopted cloud first, what naturally hit then, so we had talked about application streaming as it relates to physically diminishing the amount of computer labs that we have on campus. Where that naturally ties to digital equity is, I don't want students to have to come to campus to use the services that are necessary and that are required for them to complete their instruction. We're talking about asking students to take a bus potentially to come to campus or ask their parents to drive them to campus or arrange any sort of transportation. And I don't think we should say in order for you to be serviced in our world, it requires you to have a physical, you know, presence on this campus. And so that's where that natural tie into digital equity started you know, the conversations last November was to really say students don't physically have to be on campus to receive service. Now, whether that's service in sort of an advising capacity or financial aid capacity or service as it relates to the, the features and functions that we provide to them, doesn't matter. Then COVID hit. And that just sort of accelerated our need to address these digital equity issues sooner than later. We had been playing, 
But I think with the pandemic, we've been sort of really faced with, hey, we've got to speed it up a bit. We've got to really help students and meet them where we are so that we could deliver these software packages. That's sort of the way in which we imagine taking this pretty um, consistent conversation in higher ed around cloud and around cloud strategy. That's how then we, we put a real face and a real presence around what we're trying to achieve is that we really talk about our students and we really we really imagine how we're helping them as opposed to this just replacing the data center. Yes, that's important, but what's more important is how we're helping our students achieve their direction and their paths in lives. And so that's how we take IT and then tie that to um, equity. And I think the really interesting thing is that what you guys are trying to do for your students and not requiring this physical presence because because it can be difficult as a student to get here and there and and you want to make things accessible so they can do their work on on their schedule and um, and not be hindered in their ability to execute. And right now with COVID-19, every employer has had to think through that for their employees too. So we have also seen that on the employee side, a lot of organizations, their cloud strategies are heating up. The, The things that they, maybe they were toying with, could we do this remote worker thing? They've all got to figure it out, right? They just, nobody's got a choice. And so this speed to enabling remote worker and and the relationship that that has to speeding up cloud adoption is really evident and really clear. I would love to hear what lessons you have learned in going remote for both employees and students. I think for us, we've really learned, you know, lessons learned. If I just reflect back on the last 10 weeks, it's it's funny. You forget that we're only about 10 to 12 weeks into it. And yet, I feel like this is just the new normal. If I were to just sort of um, think about 10 weeks ago, where were we? Um, I would say what we've learned is we have to be flexible. And we have to be willing to take real introspective reviews of our processes and and really be thoughtful and most importantly, really kind. I mean, approaching everything from an empathetic, from a compassionate. I mean, our employees and our instructors also, just like our students, didn't imagine, they did not imagine that this is where they'd be 12 weeks ago. None of us imagined that we would be teaching our children from home and working a full-time job and trying to figure out work-life balance. None of us none of us signed up for that. And yet, what's come out of that that I would say is a lot of flexibility and grace. And so it's us trying to take in and make changes to the way that we do business. And so examples of that would be you know, prior to COVID-19, we would have never considered um, digital signatures. Well, we, we considered it, but there was a lot of hesitation. 
on digital signatures. And so we've learned through that that, hey, we've got to provide a solution for that. Um, We've learned that we have to have fairly elaborate and robust support mechanisms for all of those constituent groups, for our students, you know, making sure that they can contact us at any time and get the help that they need through a, a variety of modes, right? So whether that's email, chat, whether that's, um, you know, uh, an online counseling appointment through Zoom, what have you. I mean, we've had to really be open and flexible about that. And with our, our instructors and even our staff, it's also being flexible in that they didn't have, you know, many of them didn't have personal computing devices at home that they could use. And so we've, we've had fairly elaborate checkout processes for both populations, you know, for our instructors, for our employees, as well as for students. And we're not caught up into the, well, what do you need? Let us tell you. No, you just tell us, I need a machine. You don't have to give us a reason for it. We don't need, we don't need the long story. We just need to help and we need to be there and we need to serve and we need to um, so, so for me, it's also, I don't know that our support strategy up front was, was really, um, you know, well thought out. I think we've grown through that over time. And so I would say that that's really improved and a lesson that we've learned. Um, but, but largely it's just flexibility. Our, our superintendent president, she has this saying, Semper Gumby, always flexible. And I think her leadership, under her leadership and um, her direction and her vision, it's really just helped the community know that, hey, we could make mistakes and one day we can do one thing, but the next day we're going to do something different. And it's an evolving situation that we just need to work through together. And as a community, we will work through those things together. That's really powerful. And I love the, the Semper Gumby. I think that's um, <laughs> a lot of organizations, whether they've used that phrase or not, they've had to do that. Um, and so it sounds like you guys have really a great mentality at the top around just what's got to be done has to be done. And we've got to be willing to try new things and, and change our minds if it doesn't work. So I think one of the things that many IT leaders are trying to figure out is what's going to be this, what's going to be the long-term impact on my IT department? Am I going to need to staff for new roles? If the remote concept is going to be more prevalent ongoing. And so what are you seeing within your space and within your team? I would say in just in the community colleges in general and specifically at Pasadena, I think we are placing uh, more emphasis on security. And so that's a big, a big focus for us. And now we've had a security administrator for the last couple of years. We've just created a new security analyst role. But as our work has changed, it's very important that we are addressing and proactively managing, securing the, you know, the college's digital assets. And so 
Um, I think that's going to be a real focus for higher ed professionals. It's already been a focus for higher ed. I mean, security is the biggest component that I think we've often been behind the curveball in just due to budgets and constraints and competing with corporate uh, in terms of security professionals. But even more so now, it's very important that institutions really be thoughtful about the policies and procedures around data and data leak and those sorts of things. So I'd say that this moment is allowing us to um, take previous positions that may be, you know, that may have less focus. Like let's, let's give an example of our physical lab techs. There are folks who sit in computer labs who help students on site. Well, Maybe we can re-engage or reassign those positions to more security types of activities that are helping users understand the best ways to share documents and transmit data. Um, So I see a lot of focus there. I also would say that the customer service aspect of an IT organization, I think, is going to grow in our need to support you know, people virtually and from afar, very different than what we do on campus. When somebody has a problem, they can physically walk to our department. That's no longer the case. And so I think growing in higher ed around help desk associates and people who are really capable of doing tier one phone and um, virtual support, I think is going to be critical in these next you know months and potentially long-term if our models have changed and are going to change indefinitely. Yeah, I think, um, I think you're right. We're seeing that within some of the larger corporations too, having to shift skill sets to be more helpful to their employees, to help them navigate all of the new tools that they need to use and, and systems. There are a lot of similarities there. So Candace, um, you're a parent, you've been a teacher the last six to eight weeks, you're an, you're an IT leader, a, certainly a strong one at that. How have you managed it all and, and what advice do you have for others, especially for those other IT leaders that are listening here? I would say that the biggest thing for me, it's been a challenge. I'm just going to be super honest. <laughs> it has it has been very difficult. And it's not the technology pieces that are difficult. It's really the people pieces and also the sort of work-life balance. I found myself, you know, working, you know, 15 hours. I mean, I was answering calls and tickets and helping the community in ways that I I think IT in general tends to be a a sort of always on type of activity. And yet I couldn't always be on and neither could my employees. And so the first thing I would say is really um, being focused on helping to set some expectations and guidelines around work-life balance. I don't think people in general do that well themselves, particularly in our field. We want to help, we want to work, and it's very easy for those things to blend. And now that we're all online, I mean, I have to be very protective of my time. I mean, 
People schedule me at lunch every day. People schedule me. I am booked from the time I get up in the morning to the time I sign off at night. I am in meetings and I have got to guard my time in a way that keeps me healthy and mentally in shape to deal with the challenges. But I also then as a leader have to not only model that myself, but insist on that for my staff as well. What I would say to another colleague is be very thoughtful and proactive about your employees in their lives and helping them manage work-life balance in ways that keep them healthy and engaged. Because if you don't, we're going to lose a lot of people, lose a lot of talent um, if we don't take real mindful steps towards that. So, so the technology piece, those tend to be pretty easy for most technology professionals. We, we can plot a strategy. It's the people aspect that tend to be a challenge for us. So I would say spend a lot of time there, create some structure and process, and then also adhere to it yourself. Well, Candace, this has been a really refreshing and really an important conversation for us today. I can't thank you enough for joining us. Um, And thank you again to all of our listeners, as usual, of Status Go. So great job, Candace, and thank you. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. It It was a pleasure. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.